Um, tonight, uh, he is the final speaker in this series on transhumanism, and he will be speaking to us about the Christian and transhumanist desire for transcendence, a critical evaluation. Thank you very much, Father Mariusz, and, and I hand the floor to you. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Father Thomas, uh, for this uh, kind introduction. Uh, and I will now uh, switch to the presentation mode. I will uh, share with you my screen uh, with the presentation. Uh, so I hope you would be able to see it. Uh, okay. Uh, so, uh, yes, I will speak uh, about the topic that was uh, announced by uh, Father Thomas uh, in, in a sort of uh, Mm, uh, summary of this uh, mini series that we had on uh, transhumanism, uh, human enhancement, trans and post humanism. So uh, we begin with this, uh, you know, uh, acknowledgement that uh, yes, one of the central longings uh, of the human nature is uh, this uh, desire uh, for uh, transcendence or for the for the transcendent. Uh, so interestingly, uh, many claim that uh, the human enhancement, trans and post-humanism uh, are actually new expressions of this same old dream of the transcendent, uh, which traditionally was associated with the sphere of religion and religious experience and hope, but nowadays is uh, shifting towards more secular expression uh, within, again, human enhancement, trans and post-humanism. Uh, so uh, one of the experts in the field, uh, Brian Green, uh, says this in recently published uh, chapter in edited volume on transhumanism. He says, transhumanists, while often being atheists and in many cases anti-religious, themselves exhibit some extremely religious beliefs and behaviors. Most noticeably, transhumanists display uh, faith in technological progress and salvation via technology, the creation of God-like entities, human or machine, uh, again, via technology, the creation of heaven on earth, and so on. The plan uh, for, uh, and uh, he also adds that many therefore uh, think uh, or tend to think today that again, quote from him, uh, technology must replace God to fulfill those uh, old or age-old cultural and psychological desires. So what I plan to do in this lecture is to uh, provide a, a, a critical evaluation of uh, these ideas along uh, the following uh, four categories or four, uh, four um, aspects that I would like to uh, address. Uh, so I will... Uh, speak about Christian and secular approaches uh, to, trans, uh, to uh, transcendence in terms of the object of this desire for the transcendent, the subject who desires this uh, transcendence, then uh, in uh, reference to the way of the fulfillment of this desire uh, for the transcendent, and eventually I will uh, speak uh, again in reference to uh, both uh, approaches, uh, I will speak about the metaphysical presuppositions that I think motivate them. Okay, so first I will begin with uh, the Christian longing for transcendence. Uh, and uh, first, what is the object of this desire that we can uh, see uh, in uh, the Christian um, context? Well, uh, the object of desire is visio beatifica, 
which St. Thomas Aquinas would uh, define as the contemplation of the divine essence face to face. Most importantly, uh, even if this unique insight into God's essence is uh, of which we speak will be held by human beings, we must not forget that the object of this desire, and this is very important, is still God, and for, uh, first and foremost, God, and not a human nature in its perfected form. Therefore, even if human nature needs to be transformed and in some respect transcended, uh, the ultimate goal of the transformation of which we speak is not the higher perfection of our animal and specifically human dispositions. So even if they are indeed enhanced or will be enhanced on the way, its final aim again is the sanctification, right? The, the, the Eastern Christian tradition refers to it as divinization. Uh, which we may define as a new openness to sanctifying supernatural grace that enables us or will enable us to enter the contemplation of, again, God's very essence and sort of intimacy with the creator that goes beyond our current capabilities uh, of our conscious and emotional, emotional relationality that we, uh, those capacities that we have right now. So this is important from uh, the Catholic uh, perspective, Christian perspective. Uh, moreover, while the act of contemplation of which we speak will have no end, we may uh, we know uh, from a Revelation that it will be perpetual. It does not presuppose or require the continuation and prolonging of the present life uh, and the present state of human nature at all costs, right? But is open uh, for it uh, to be radically transformed. So we share, uh, as Christians, uh, we accept the reality of death and we hope for that perpetual light in resurrection, right? Uh, and finally, the fifth uh, aspect, which I find crucial here, is uh, that having said all this, we realize that the, 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 this death to an old self, of which St. Paul, for example, speaks, is not equivalent with the rejection of the human nature in its current state. Uh, so as in trans or post, especially post-humanism. So we deeply believe as Christians in this principle of, of continuity between ourselves now and what we will become in the life to come. So this is the way in which uh, uh, I would defy the object of uh, this desire. Again, this is Visio Beatifica, uh, which is the contemplation of divine essence. Uh, so this object of desire is this, uh, again, contemplation, and therefore an insight into divine essence and not necessarily our human nature. What is uh, therefore uh, the subject of desire, the one who is looking for this uh, Christian experience of transcendence, of transcending our uh, situation right here, right here and right now. First of all, uh, recognizing the contingent and imperfect character of uh, our desire for, uh, uh, excuse me, our existence, Christians uh, longing for, for the transcendent find it good and desirable to be humans that they are. 
So we, uh, what is characteristic for uh, the Christian anthropology is, well, a fundamental anthropological optimism. Uh, and yet at the same time, we are also aware uh, of uh, the fact uh, that while uh, we are positive uh, of being human, we are also aware of the ongoing process of redemption of the nature in which we are in which we participate. We acknowledge that although the work of redemption is fulfilled once and for all in Jesus's passion, death and resurrection, its reception and actualization uh, of this new life that God, uh, that Jesus gives us through his death and resurrection, uh, the acceptance on our part is still in progress. Therefore, we are uh, we may say that the awareness of this fact takes place uh, in those who are in the process of recovery from original sin and actual sins and their repercussions, which uh, we define in classical theology as wounds of the body and of the soul. Uh, one of them uh, is uh, concupiscence. And in view of those two uh, last points I mentioned, uh, we uh, uh, are uh, aware of the fact that a careful and thorough evaluation and judgment is always necessary uh, in reference to each mean that leads to this uh, desired and anticipated end and uh, transcendence uh, of uh, our human nature as we know it uh, uh, in this life. So therefore, uh, following uh, Brian Greene again, uh, we may um, say that we are uh, aware or we acknowledge or we develop actually, maybe this is the best term, we develop uh, two content, uh, compl complementary scripture-based perspectives as Christians. One of them uh, spans the entire Bible, begins in Genesis 1 and ends in Revelation in the last chapter uh, or second last chapter of uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, where uh, Brian Green says uh, that the Bible begins in an idyllic garden and ends in a flying cubic uh, city, the New Jerusalem, thus apparently blessing technological progress. In Genesis 1, the sea represents primal chaos, but by Revelation 21, verse 1, the sea, we learn that the sea was no more. Chaos is eliminated from reality and all is finally ordered. Therefore, technology can be construed as humankind's quest to remove chaos from nature, to slowly roll back chance and eventually put everything under orderly control in imitation of God's own action. This is one perspective of which we are aware, we find it true, and we find us as participating in this uh, perspective. But at the same time, uh, Green says that this same technology is like a bandage on the lethal wound of original sin. Here he refers to God clothing Adam and Eve with animal skins, replacing their uh, crude clothing of leaves. Therefore, technology is good and is developed and applied by, uh, by us, but we are fallen humans. And therefore it may turn, or rather they, human beings, may turn it against themselves. So as Christians, uh, uh, when we think uh, about uh, 
the subject again uh, of this desire. This is human being who is powerful and yet is sinful. So those two approaches uh, or two aspects of our approach to technology must be taken into account from, again, a Christian perspective. When it comes uh, to uh, the means uh, that we uh, have to achieve this perspective of transcending our nature as it is right now in this life, we may speak here about transcendence uh, or transcending our nature from within and from without. What do we mean by that? And here, Richard McKenney says this. He distinguishes between internal, we may say horizontal transcendence, which he thinks assumes that it is in and through our natural limitations and not apart from them, that we may experience a kind of transcendence that is essential to genuine fulfillment. So we grow as human beings we transcend our, uh, our nature when we accept our limitations and work in and through those limitations. This is again internal and horizontal transcendence that comes from within our nature. Uh, so uh, he adds and says this, Christian desire for the transcendent assumes that genuine fulfillment is to be found in a life that is needy, mortal, vulnerable to disease and disability, bound by conditions of embodiment and limited to the kinds of transcendence we are capable of experiencing through our finite bodily nature and not apart from it. But there's this uh, also a second uh, aspect of, uh, uh, of uh, transcendence uh, that is available for us as Christians. And this is external or vertical, we may say, transcendence, which again is grounded in the supernatural gift of sanctifying grace, which does not remove, dismiss, or destroy, but now elevates human nature. Therefore, the ultimate good uh, is fitting uh, for human nature, yet accessible only through the supernatural gift of grace, we may say which enables uh, uh, our nature to enjoy something that infinitely exceeds and overwhelms uh, the capacities of our nature without negating or destroying it and apart from any technological enhancement, right? Uh, so those two aspects, uh, uh, which are again, our like ways in which we can achieve this uh, transcendent new self uh, are available and crucial for the Christian approach to uh, transcendent and transcending our human nature. Now, what uh, the final fourth point, what are metaphysical presupposition of the Christian approach? And here I speak specifically from the point of view of Aristotelian Thomistic perspective. And from this perspective, uh, the metaphysical presupposition is, uh, would be the hieromorphic notion of human being, where human soul is considered as a particular type of substantial form, which actualizes the principle of potentiality, the primary matter, in an organic whole that is a human person. This dualism uh, is a dualism of metaphysical principles and not substance or property dualism, which is absolutely crucial here. Why? Because this helps us to keep and maintain and argue for integral oneness and unity of a human person. 
human person is not a composition of separate substances, material and spiritual, where you could manipulate material, for example, as much as you know or or, or want, as long as you don't uh, like you know change anything in the spiritual aspect or a substance in you. No, this is oneness that uh, hylomorphism introduces of a human person. Uh, and also irreducibility of specifically human dispositions of self-consciousness, intellect, and free will to anything purely material. And therefore, within this perspective, we may say this, that while we may speak and should speak about a correlation between the powers of reason, consciousness, and will, and their physiological base, the former are not simply eliminable, reducible, according to identity or token identity theory, or at best merely epiphenomenal, supervenient, or emergent with respect to the latter. And this is absolutely crucial, uh, because on this Christian hylomorphic, I would say, Catholic uh, view, uh, the human nature, this view implies and suggests that any changes introduced to the material, physiological, or structural aspects of a human being remaining in a causal correspondence with specifically human dispositions, especially self-consciousness, intellect, and will, affect the entire person and its subtle equilibrium, right? In reference, again, to this argument about the oneness of human being. Therefore, all manipulations at various levels of complexity of a human being must take into account this integral unity of the human nature and respect its ontology, including its contingency and limitations. So this would be the assessment of the Christian longing for the transcendent. Now let's move to the trans and post-humanist longing for transcendence. Now, what is the object of desire here? Well, uh, this might be an upgraded or completely new kind or species of contingent beings, albeit biological or non or post biological, which are potentially immortal, because as contingent things, uh, they cannot be fully immortal, but at least potentially immortal. This is at least the ambition, one of the ambitions of this, uh, of this movement. So this new species, uh, new, or we may say uh, uh, that it, again, the object of desire, the object of desire would be new species characterized by either already known human features brought to, the, to their higher, well, maybe ultimate perfection if possible, and or some possibly new post-human yet still human-like uh, characteristics, right? A new species with uh, this type of characteristics. So what is uh, important here uh, is that uh, the transcendence here we can already see is relative uh, in post and uh, trans trans and post-humanism because they are in search of and I quote here, methods which may make it possible to increase human health span, extend our intellectual and physical capacities, and give us increased control over our own mental states and moods. This is Boston. Post-humans might shape themselves and their environment in so many new and profound ways that speculations about the detailed features of post-humans and the post-human world are likely to fail. 
But note uh, or notice that uh, here, this transcending human nature is again uh, uh, perfecting uh, the. characteristics which are actualized in this life and in this uh, world, okay? So that's why I think it's a relative transcendence uh, with respect to the Christian transcendence, which uh, uh, mm, uh, goes beyond this uh, earthly reality. What is the subject of desire uh, for trans and post-humanism? Uh, well, uh, here I claim uh, uh, that uh, what uh, characterizes those movements is what I uh, call a dual aspect condition of those uh, who are the subjects of the trans and post-humanist desire, uh, which I think leads to an internal conflict. Why? Well, because on the one hand, uh, those uh, who pursue those ideas of trans and post-humanism, they uh, have a deep faith in the ability of human beings to transform their own nature. Yet at the same time, we can see on their side a lack of acceptance of the human nature in its current state. So, uh, so, so there is like a, a, a general optimism about human nature and at the same time, pessimism about uh, human nature. Uh, again, the first approach or the first aspect of their approach may be overly optimistic, uh, as it may ignore uh, the deep and tragic experience of sinfulness and imperfection of the human nature, as we know it as Christian, uh, and atrocities that it brought about in the past, right? Thus, we may say it sounds utopian, and we may refer it to the Christian heresy of Pelagianism. And at the same time, the second aspect of their approach is or might be overly pessimistic. It may lead to a rebellion against human nature as we know it. And again, referring it to Christianity, we may say it may sound like a, a new version of Manichaeism or Gnosticism. Next, uh, the trans and post-humanist approach uh, uh, and uh, mm, the means in which uh, we can uh, like reach this desired final end, which will be, well, perfected uh, human nature or maybe a post-human nature. I claim that the transcendence that uh, they um, have at hand or the means that they have at hand, uh, they work only from without right? Because uh, the point of departure is human nature and what we can do as human beings. Therefore, uh, there's no space for the transcendence uh, from within, as uh, the notion of the acceptance of the current state of our nature with its limitations, vulnerability, and mortality is foreign to both uh, trans and post-humanists. They reject uh, rather than uh, they reject current state of human nature rather than being at peace with it and having a or, or showing a will to work again through uh, this condition that uh, we have as it is right uh, so they don't share this uh, uh, this uh, mm, 
aspect of uh, of of this desire for transcendence. The transcend the transcendence uh, that they desire and hope to achieve comes only from without. But again, uh, unlike in Christianity, its source is not supernatural. So whereas in Christianity, the transcendence that comes from without is supernatural, as I said before, here, uh, this is a search for what I call uh, is rather a relative and horizontal uh, transcendence and not this vertical transcendence uh, that is uh, characteristic uh, for the Christian uh, tradition and faith. So it does not elevate human nature while transforming it, but strives to replace it with a new nature. So the enjoyment of goods that transcend our natural human capacities must come at the cost of these capacities and therefore uh, of our humanity, at least uh, in the post-humanist uh, movement. Now, uh, what is uh, important for me as a philosopher, philosopher and a theologian, but here as a philosopher, are metaphysical presuppositions, which I think are like this reflection is under uh, uh, re represented in literature. So that's why I engaged in uh, trying to specify more carefully the metaphysical presuppositions of this movement. So when uh, we may learn about this, uh, like because they don't state what uh, their metaphysical presuppositions are usually, so uh, we should look into what they claim uh, trans and post humanism uh, will bring us. So uh, when we uh, think about uh, the promises that they uh, give us, and you have them now listed on your screens, ex extending human lifespan, lifespan modifying human traits, and so forth, many. Uh, hopes that they have and promises that they make. What is important for us that they claim that they are already doable or possible in the near future, near future, due to the biotechnological industry. Uh, so this is important because this um, and they claim this will happen. Uh, or already happens uh, through already available drugs and surgeries. Uh, or will happen uh, through eagerly awaited and gradually tested and implemented nanotechnologies. Uh, this was discussed in this in this series already. Information technologies, gene therapies, germline modifications, in vitro fertilization in synergy with pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, stem cell research, uh, and other innovative techniques. Uh, why do I say all this? Because I think it is telling. Uh, the uh, the means that they uh, want to apply and the way they want to apply it to human beings. Uh, I claim uh, that uh, uh, those biotechnologies mentioned by trans and uh, post-humanists, they are applied to biological material in their understanding. Therefore, at the level of chemical, biochemical, and biomolecular processes, taking place at various levels of complexity of human organisms. And they are aimed at changing features which are traditionally, at the same time, they are aimed at changing also, not only, but also features which are traditionally associated with immaterial and irreducible aspects of human nature, such as consciousness, intellect, will, and specifically human emotional dispositions, right? 
which means, uh, well, uh, one uh, more thing, uh, the extreme, an extreme example of this approach would be the claim that, which uh, was mentioned in uh, this series of lectures several times already, uh, the claim made by some post-humanists uh, that because mind is reducible to the interactions of brain cells, uh, it will be eventually modeled as an algorithm and eventually made translatable and possible to upload on a computer. So all this tells us uh, that um, their approach is uh, fairly reductionist, right? Uh, this is uh, a quotation uh, which is important uh, in this context that comes from James Hughes, who says this, transhumanists are nearly unanimous in believing that there is no supernatural spirit, that the mind is a product of the brain, and that machines with self-aware intelligence are possible. Transhumanists also overwhelmingly embrace the idea of mind uploading. Uh, so therefore, uh, if, uh, therefore, following questions are uh, important uh, when uh, we uh, refer to those ideas of trans and posthumanism. Do those movements compromise the holistic approach to human nature? That might be the case. Do they pay enough attention to the impact of the proposed changes at the material physiological uh, uh, level or in material and physiological aspects of human of human beings? Uh, are they uh, do they pay enough attention to the impact those changes may have on the overall flourishing of a human being? Could uh, trans and posthumanism uh, therefore be classified as reductionist and materialist? Well, we should uh, maybe begin with eliminativism. Uh, so, is it true that they uh, claim uh, or would they uh, uh, agree that all supposedly irreducible higher order phenomena, such as sensations and thoughts, are the entities of a primitive theory? so-called folk psychology that we employed in the past to explain each other's outward behavior, but we have to give up on them. Well, uh, maybe this is too, uh, too radical uh, to uh, think that they are nativists. After all, the same James Hughes says this, while there are some transhumanists who are only concerned with preserving and enhancing rationality and intelligence, Transhumanists philosophy. Uh, you cut out there for a moment, Mariusz. Hold on. Let's see here. Sorry, Mariusz, you're you're cutting in and out a little bit. Uh, are you back? Uh, shoot, I'm sorry, you're you're cutting in and out still. Okay, I think I think you're back. I think you're back. Okay, okay, thank you. Right, so you were, you were you were reading the quote uh, from Hughes. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So you have this quote on your screens. So uh, so uh, so I believe you 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 read this. So maybe they are not any nativists. Uh, well, I claim that they may be closer to the identity theory, where higher level complex phenomena. They are considered being real, so they wouldn't like to get rid of those higher order uh, phenomena uh, and claim that they are unreal, 
but uh, they are equivalent or reducible to their lower level physical basis. So such that you can shape and model those higher level complex phenomena at the level of a lower level physical basis. So for example, Patrick sees red uh, would be equal to a C-neural uh, network is active in his brain. So I claim that uh, this identity theory actually, I think properly describes, this is my claim, metaphysical presuppositions standing behind trans and post-humanism and their conviction that those various phenomena, uh, which are again associated with our consciousness, intellect and will and emotions can and should be manipulated on, or even designed at the lower chemical, biochemical and biomolecular fabric of our human being. So I think this is the metaphysics that uh, inspires them, uh, even though they don't um, uh, openly uh, acknowledge that. Uh, now, what is the critical evaluation of this approach? Well, not questioning the reality of the correlation and possibly causal connection between conscious mental and volitional and emotional phenomena and their grounding in specifically biological matter. This, I think we have to like uh, acknowledge and uh, because this is what science uh, uh, tells us today. So without questioning this correlation and causal relation here, uh, the problem of trans and post-humanism is the reduction again of the former to the latter, right? Uh, and what comes with this is this encour uh, encouragement of a selective, experimental, if not you know totally uh, frivolous manipulation and design of higher level phenomena uh, in human or post-human beings. That might be considered as being problematic. Because what it brings is this attitude of compromising the holistic approach and the delicate equilibrium of which I spoke uh, before of a human being, not only at the levels of energy management, chemical, biochemical, and biomolecular constitution, but also considering philosophical and spiritual aspects of the human nature. Therefore, uh, my claim would be that uh, and this is not only my claim, actually, but those who are more skeptical about trans and posthumanism, they claim and emphasize that human nature should be treated as a precious and valuable gift that needs to be protected, not something that can be freely shaped and changed, a tentative sort of proposal that we can accept or change at our discretion. It should not be seen as an object of experimentation that may move its essence into an unpredictable direction. Now, the fact that we have tools that may make it happen does not mean we should consider ourselves to be entitled to actually do it. So this is the first round of criticism. Here comes the second uh, like step of the critical evaluation of this approach. Well, uh, contra-identity theories, which I again claim that trans and post-humanism accepts, it is really dubious, uh, dubious uh, whether, and this is uh, contemporary philosophy uh, of science and philosophy of mind, many claim that it, it is really doubtful whether it will be possible to reveal, not to mention to prove uh, identity theory, uh, which is the fact that all higher level complex phenomena are indeed reducible to the lower physical uh, phenomena, lower physical uh, level basis. Therefore, 
those uh, suggestions and uh, the freedom that post is being postulated by post and trans, uh, trans and post humanists should be put into question. Uh, also, in reference to the uh, to a variety of non-reductions ontological propositions that are developed today uh, in the context of contemporary science and contemporary philosophy of science. So leaving aside, uh, and I don't have time to, uh, to discuss them, uh, the positions of animals monism uh, or multiple uh, realize, uh, realizability or the theory of manifest and latent properties, which uh, are, I would say, the lowest levels of uh, irreducibility uh, in respect to complex uh, phenomena in nature. Uh, we may think about supervenience uh, theory, but even more important here would be uh, contemporary debate uh, uh, on emergentism, which is a theory uh, that speaks about the uh, radical irreducibility of properties and or entities that arise from proper arrangement of physical particles, where causation in emergence uh, goes in emergent uh, uh, phenomena goes not only bottom up, but also top down. So this is my scheme that I uh, usually uh, propose uh, while discussing emergence. We have uh, top and downward causation. What is crucial here again is this uh, fact that uh, those uh, emergent properties, uh, as says uh, Jago and Kim, uh, a great theor theoret, uh, or, uh, uh, he discussed theoretically uh, the theory of emergence, I criticize it actually, uh, but his insight was really, really important in this entire debate. He emphasizes this fact of downward causation, right, which is a, a causation that is exercised by uh, on the higher level of complexity of matter, and you cannot reduce, according to this theory, uh, reduce it to the lower uh, level of physical base, which again means you are not completely free to shape them, uh, uh, those higher level properties at the lower level base, uh, because you may be destroying something very precious and very delicate that uh, shows on this higher level of complexity. Complex phenomena, therefore, according to the emergent, uh, uh, emergent uh, theory, uh, are located in time and space, uh, and their existence is explained by uh, physical objects. Uh, many of those emergentists, they claim uh, or they call themselves, uh, classify themselves as emergentist monisms, monists. But at the same time, those phenomena are irreducible and frame framed within the homeostasis of uh, the whole. And therefore, uh, it seems therefore that both uh, supervenience, which I don't have time to discuss here, uh, but both supervenience and emergence uh, theory, uh, they, per they should perceive higher level phenomena as being ontologically more than their lower level cons uh, constitutional basis. And I claim that they most likely would support the appeal to apply a far-reaching caution in the implementation of the postulates raised by the proponents of trans and post-humanism. So I discuss this to show that it's not only the classical uh, tradition that would be skeptical about uh, ideas of trans and post-humanism. Also in contemporary philosophy of science, we will find uh, um, approaches to uh, complex phenomena that 
would rather be skeptical about at least some of the uh, techniques and technologies that uh, they would like to introduce. And then we have the revival of hylomorphism. I emphasize uh, this also because uh, today we have not only the classical hylomorphism that survived and is still being taught, uh, but we also have uh, a new contemporary uh, uh, versions of hylomorphism uh, in analytical uh, philosophy. Uh, but I emphasized here this classical approach where again, uh, the classical approach will still stick to the notion of human soul actualizing primary matter, which provides here, we would say, for the correspondence between properly formed and structured biological matter and the metaphysical immaterial dispositions of self-consciousness intellect. And, we, and therefore, again, we should be very cautious in changing uh, introducing changes at the lower level uh, of physiology, biochemistry, uh, and biomolecular disposition of uh, uh, human being. So uh, now to conclusion. Uh, among those uh, who are consider themselves to be enthusiasts of, uh, of human enhancement, trans and post-humanism, uh, and are open to Christianity, because there are people uh, uh, who uh, share both of those uh, views, uh, some of them, they are eager uh, to propose an analogy between Christian notion of redemption uh, and medical therapy, uh, where both are aimed at restoring what was or what should be regarded as a normal state, even if it never actually existed, right? And they contrast this analogy with yet another analogy between Christian notion of glorification and human enhancement, trans and post-humanism post as taking us far beyond our present condition towards something completely new. So those analogies are proposed again by those who support both trans, uh, uh, at least trans, maybe not post, by trans, but trans-humanism and uh, share Christian values. But I believe that my presentation helps us view such proposal and those analogies here with a necessary dose of skepticism. While the centrality and depth of the theme of the transformation in Christianity remain unquestionable, we must not forget that the processes of being transformed into a new human, uh, uh, into a new human, respect human nature at the each stage of such change and do not seek to replace this human nature, right? Again, I'm sorry, I'm uh, moving too fast with the slides. The working of the workings of the transcendent uh, here in Christianity, again, are both from within and from without of us, where the latter is external transcendence defined as supernatural gift of divine grace. Uh, therefore, this uh, perspective is lost uh, and replaced in a way in trans and, and especially post-humanism where uh, the transcendence of which we speak is relative and uh, the um, workings of the transcendent are only uh, uh, from without and yet those workings are not really transcendent with respect to our nature. Uh, they are actions still of human beings who simply want to change or maybe move its own nature to yet another new type of nature. Okay, uh, so uh, 
Christian open, so uh, shall we uh, or should we criticize uh, all uh, three of them, human enhancement, trans and posthumanism? Well, we may uh, think uh, about Christian uh, uh, tradition and Catholic tradition as well as being open maybe to human enhancement, mitigating or eliminating certain effects of human vulnerability, uh, susceptibility to disease uh, or premature death, or maybe partially overcoming some of the human limitations. Why not? But we should be uh, very careful about and what is not acceptable for us and should not be acceptable for us is the idea of radical, uh, of a radical uh, alteration of human nature proposed by trans and post-humanism. For I reach uh, once again uh, to Gerald McKinney. Uh, I like this uh, and I, I share this view. It is precisely this nature, and as far as we know, only this nature that grace grants participation in the ultimate good of communion with God in His in its highest form, in all its vulnerability, neediness, and finite limitation. And in spite of its corruption by sin, human nature is good and is to be recognized and valued as such because it is the being with this nature uh, whom God has chosen to enjoy the highest form of communion with God. So shall we therefore, so how shall we therefore treat if we remain uh, radically uh, skeptical about trans and post-humanism? Should we treat uh, it as a utopian agenda, which uh, Gerald McKenney uh, uh, says or claims uh, combines a Nietzschean sense of dismay at the thought that the human being might not become all that it is capable of becoming with a quasi-utilitarian commitment to the promotion of the good in abstraction from the question of whose good it is, right? So shall we share this radically uh, skeptical and critical approach to trans and post-humanism or maybe Maybe we could see in trans and post-humanism a challenging yet prom promising conversation partners, those who support those movements, who recognize imperfection of the human nature in its current state, recognize human desire for transcendence and believe it is not in vain, promote an active engagement in improving human dispositions, and hope for a perpetual existence of human beings. Now, they may look in wrong places uh, for those uh, things, but maybe there is a space for us to enter into a conversation with this entire movement. Uh, and I will end uh, this lecture with leaving this question open. I guess uh, each one of us should uh, try to answer uh, this question, how we should uh, treat uh, trans and post-humanism. Thank you for your attention.